Alright, well good morning. It's good to have all of you in the house of the Lord today. At this time we're going to have a presentation by the visiting missionary today, Seda Williams. So Seda, why don't you come on up? And uh, she is going to be going to South Sudan and she'll explain her ministry to us. And then after that uh, we will have another song and send the children out and then the message. How are you today? It is a blessing to be with all of you here today. I mean, it's my, my thing is I love being with God's people. And anytime I have to be in church, it's our Father's house. And I can get to laugh more and smile more because I'm with the brethren. So it's a wonderful thing to be with all of you today. My name is Saada. Williams Onyango. I am from Kenya, but serving as a missionary in South Sudan. For accountability purposes, my sending church is Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona, and the mission board is International Baptist Missions. I just recently graduated the college gave me a full scholarship to come and pursue my master's. Um, I just recently graduated from, from, um, from the college and planning to head back to South Sudan in December. Well, I want you to join me and travel with me to South Sudan. And first of all, as any other country is, there's always the importance of a flag. Uh, the flag of South Sudan Anytime you see this flag, please remember to pray for South Sudan. Uh, the colors have significance. Uh, black stands for the color of the people of the nation. Red stands for the blood that was shed for them to gain their independence. They just gained their independence 11 years ago. Um, green represents the fertile land that they have. They can produce a lot. Actually, we've been told that South Sudan has a potential of producing enough food to, 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 to serve uh, Central and South Africa for an entire year when they begin cultivating. They are not cultivating yet, but yes, the land is super fertile. And then white represent the peace that they've gained. Blue represent River Nile. The Nile River is, is flowing through uh, South Sudan. We do baptize in our church. We do baptize our, our saved guys in River Nile. So it's, it's just four miles away from us. And then the star represent the hope that they have to as they build their, their country. Well, uh, if you can see that well, well, then the green star is right where you are in California, and then the purplish red, red star is where South Sudan is. So if you're a visual person trying to figure out where am I and where is this country, that's how far apart it is. And I am from Kenya, uh, which is not far away from uh, South Sudan. It's just uh, northwest of south uh, of, of Kenya and it's it's still a different country when I went over there there was still culture shock um, though it's still just one of the countries in in in, in Africa it's been a blessing serving in 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 that nation and so I speak five languages and I want to teach you one of the languages that I speak. So if you speak only one, by the end of this, you'll be speaking two languages. If you're speaking three, you'll have four. But travel with me and, 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 and just take the plane very, very fast. And we are landing in Juba, South Sudan. This is the national language of South Sudan, Juba Arabic. And this is one of my favorite phrases to use because it's true. God is good all the time. 
and all the time. God is good. So we are going to say this in Juba Arabic. I say Rabuna Kwes and you say Sakulu. And when I say Sakulu, you say Rabuna Kwes. Can we try that? All right. Please, just go with me in South Sudan. Okay. Rabuna Kwes. Sakulu. Sakulu. It's true. God is good all the time. It's not because just we say it. That's his nature. God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Well, in South Sudan, I'm involved in three different areas of ministry. Actually, more than three, but these are the major ones. I'm involved in the church. I'm involved in the school and I'm involved also with some several things within the ministry. This is my Sunday school class after church and and some of our youth after we are just done with church i have a huge sunday school class um south sudan it's it's interesting and a blessing to know that before they gained their independence it was an islamic country but currently after gaining their independence 11 years ago they are encouraging missionaries to come and they consider themselves a christian nation so it's it's a blessing this window is open and i'm so glad that god has given me opportunity to be in south sudan and reach these these young people uh, with the gospel of jesus christ well in my sunday school um the missionaries who began the ministry, they are Ron and Christine Enoch. They just retired last month. Uh, we have a new couple from their church that has joined us and are waiting for me to head back. When they moved to South Sudan, they moved with two shipping containers, which were turned into a house. So one of them is the bedroom and the other one is the living room. So they set them side by side and had a roof. And, um, and, and covered it, so it, it turned into a house. Outside the housing, that's where I have my Sunday school class. So I have an L-shaped kind of a class, one side of the house and then the other side of the house, if you can see, that's one of the side of my Sunday school class, and this is my other side of the Sunday school class, and then I get to stand in the middle as I teach both of my kids. When I have 185 kids in my Sunday school class, I'm not a happy mama, because I'm like, where are my kids? I, I, it's lovely having them. Usually I run at least, at least 250 kids every single morning in my Sunday school class. And they're always, they're just eager wanting to, to listen to God's word. Over 80% of them are coming to church and their parents are not coming to church. And I'm just so glad their parents are just allowing them to come to church. And I'm like, yes, keep on just letting them come because you want to teach them God's word. Uh, one thing that I get to, I, lo I love doing with my Sunday school kids as I get to encourage them to learn about God's word. I have a program. They get to memorize, they get to memorize verses. And after every 10 weeks, after they've memorized their verses, word perfect. If you memorize your verses, word perfect, 10 of them, you can come for a memory verse party. And all I do, just bring them in and we have a mat uh, for them to sit in church. And I have a 28-inch screen TV. This may come as shocking, but most... Almost everyone in South Sudan don't have TV. So me having a 28-inch screen TV, it's, it's a thing. So I set that one in front of the church, and all these kids who've memorized their verses, they come to church, and they sit down, and they watch a cartoon, maybe Tom and Jerry. 
and then they go back home. Yay! We went to church and we watched TV. And if they didn't the ones that didn't memorize their verses are like, I have to memorize my verses next time so that I can also go and watch TV. You know, it's a simple thing. It may seem like a simple thing to you. To me, it's a very big thing because it's just a way I get to encourage these boys and girls to memorize God's word, some things that may be taken for granted. But I just get to set that 28-inch screen TV in front of the church and they come and enjoy it and get them coming more to Sunday school and wanting to memorize God's word. So I love doing that uh, with my Sunday school kids. And then I'm also involved in youth ministry. We have a Youth, our youth coming every single Friday from 4 to 7 p.m. They come play games and then we get to go through the Bible and teach them God's word. Uh, I've led several of them to Jesus Christ and just mentoring them and nurturing them in, in the gospel and seeing them getting involved in ministry is always very, very encouraging. I'm also involved with women's ministry. I get When I'm back in South Sudan, I get to meet with these women once every single month. Uh, and just going through God's word and, and drawing their attention from all the troubles and worries that they may be having in their lives and bringing their attention back to God. This is what God is saying about you and the plans that he has for you and your family. Uh, this is my favorite. Truth Chasers Club is for young teenagers who know how to read and write in English. So it's, it's, it's a huge encouragement to have them coming to church. I've led over 90% of these kids to Christ. It should be a group of about 40 kids. And from the time that I got there in 2017, uh, leading them to Christ and plugging them in. And this is a program that I get to use as a mentoring uh, platform to, to nurture them and grow them in the likeness of Jesus Christ. I use child evangelism um, mailbox club lesson and the regular mailbox club lessons that I, I ship in. And they, they all get to go through these lessons and um, grow in their faith in Jesus Christ. One of the things that I get to teach them is how to share Jesus, share the gospel using their fingers because they always have their fingers everywhere they go to. They memorize their verses that goes with the fingers and they can share the gospel with anyone, anywhere they meet to and lead them to Christ. So that's one of the things that I get to do with them um, as I get to teach them and allow them to go through their lessons. Several of them have given their lives to Jesus Christ and they're they are surrendering, they're they helping in Sunday school currently. They're getting trained to be Sunday school teachers who will take care of all the classes after I get to divide the huge group in various classes. Um, other than being involved in church, I'm also involved in school. When I joined the ministry two years after Ron and Christine started the ministry in South Sudan, um, I saw the need that was there. My, 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 my presence was a blessing to them as it was a, for me an encouragement. We have our youth who are coming to church and the closest high school that we had around us was seven miles away. And so having our young people walk at least seven miles to school and seven miles back home <coughs> was a wastage of time. And um, also just desiring to mentor them and invest in their lives, uh, that gave the birth of the school. The aim was our own youth who are there, they can come to our secondary school. They get to be there five days a week. We get to see them, mentor them, and make sure that we give them quality of education. And at the same time, it was also 
going to be an avenue of evangelism, reaching other young people around in the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because every single day that they come in school, they get to hear about Jesus. So, and, and we've had several kids who've given their lives to Jesus Christ. Um, the, I started the school in 2019, uh, April of 2019, and we only had seven students and eight teachers. So I had more teachers than students when school started. But uh, as at five weeks ago, we started the, 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 the academic year and we currently run 98 students in our school. I was just there um, in January to check on the school before they ended the last academic year. And it was just a blessing being with all of them and, and checking on the school and teachers and, and just encouraging them to keep on looking onto Jesus uh, who is doing this ministry. So we, 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 I, I, I find it a privilege that our young people can be in school and they get mentored and, and, and nurtured in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, but we also reach other young people who come to our school. Just this academic year, the very first two weeks that school began, we had 23 young people give their life to Jesus Christ among our new students who came in. So it's a blessing seeing how God, God is using us to, to reach these people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's part of our classroom. So I've built the first phase, we've built the first phase of this classroom, which is three different classes, but one of them is currently being used in a, as an office. If you can see, there are three doors there. Two are being used as a two classrooms, and then one is a, a, a staff room. And then the two classes, um, some of our students are meeting in this teen building um, as we get to work on building the next phase of classroom. We, we still need, actually we currently need 45,000 to finish. We've raised um, about 97,000 for the next uh, building and we need 47 to finish up that next building. Hopefully within the next few weeks, the building will, 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 will go up um, and, and our kids can, can move out of these teen buildings and be in a class. Other than the school that I run, I'm also involved in um, school ministry in other places. I have so many Sunday school kids and the gospel is needed in South Sudan. So I get to visit other schools and tell them about Jesus. So these schools that, primary schools that are around us, I go talk to the principal or the head teacher and tell them I want to come to your school and teach your boys and girls about Jesus. And they say, they stop everything, you know, like, okay, come on in. And I get to be in these classes and teach, you know, my Sunday school kids who are there and the rest of their classmates and teach them about Jesus Christ. And it's always encouraging for my kids who are in class. They, they come back on Sunday and they begin telling the other kids, Miss Sarah came to our school. And then I get to say, okay, they come to me, Miss Sarah, you went to their school, so you have to come to our school as well. So I go to, go to that other school and just tell the person, I want to teach your kids about Jesus. And they're like, oh, come on in. So it's, it's an open place. I get to visit these schools and tell these boys and girls about Jesus Christ. And they give, it's just loving, so great seeing them loving Jesus and giving their life to Jesus Christ. The other program that we have within the ministry, which was also a need uh, that came up after uh, being in South Sudan, is a feeding program. South Sudan is the poorest and the most illiterate country in the entire world. Uh, of course, it's also the youngest country in the world. For many years, decades, the country suffered from war and over 90% of them flew away from their homes and were in refugee camps. And 
in refugee camps, they're in thousands and sometimes even in millions. Um, the, the largest refugee camp we have in Kenya hosts at least two million people. Um, so when, when this refugee comes in, they, they, they don't get quality anything. Even with food, they don't get much. Even with education, they barely get anything. So right now, South Sudanese are getting back to their countries to build, to, to build their country. And they're coming back, they have nothing. It's, they're all poor. But we, we have a program, a feeding program to get feed the, the, the hungry kids. And again, it's not just to feed their tummies, but an opportunity to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. These kids come in, we, we feed, currently we have 106 registered in the feeding program. That's in spite of the, the kids in school. We feed over 200 people every single day in, in, in our ministry. But these kids come in, and as soon as they walk in, they wash their hands and sit on mats. And then they are taught the Bible lesson. Before they are given anything, they are taught what God is saying. And then after their spiritual life is fed, then we, we give them food and then they can go home. And we do this Monday through Friday. How do we take these kids in? Uh, we don't feed everyone. If we open this for everyone, everyone would, all South Sudanese would want to come. We only take children who are at the verge of dying. You know, so we have a World Health Organization tape. You can order it even in Amazon, it's there. Um, we measure the, the arm. If they're on green, it doesn't matter whether they have food at home, it's hard to say, but whether they have food or they don't have food, we can't take them because they're on green. If they're on yellow, then uh, we have to take them for a while and see, build their, their, their health to a point that they get on green. But if they're on red, then we have to take them. We must take them. So those are the kids that we take. We only take kids who, when we measure their arms and they're, they're on red, that means they're on verge of dying. If, if we don't take them, they just have a few more weeks or a few more months for them to die. So those are the ones that we get to take and we feed them only one meal every single day, Monday through Friday. But it's a blessing. I love being in South Sudan and, and I love this because these are the kids, we've led several of them to Christ even in feeding program. Over 85% of them are the kids that I have in Sunday school. And some of them, the only meal they live on is the food that we feed them, Monday through Friday. But come Sunday morning, they are the first to be in church with a big smile on their face, sitting down and ready to listen to God's word. And as their Sunday school teacher, you stand there with hundreds of them and you know the last meal Wani had, or Janet had, was the meal you gave them on Friday lunch. And the next one they're going to have is the one that you'll give them the following day on Monday at lunch. But there they are with that big smile on their face and just ready to listen to God's word as you get to teach them. It's, I'd rather be there. I'd, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't want anywhere else but to be with these kids who are willing to listen to God's word and they just don't look on all the troubles that they have around them. So I love, I love, I love seeing them and we get to teach them about God's word every single day and it's just a blessing serving them and being there. The other thing that we have is providing water to the community. It's a service that we give to the community. Again, it's just an evangelistic thing that we are using. Before the ministry was started, um, the mothers and children within our community were walking at least four miles to go to River Nile, fetch water, and then come back home. 
And River Nile isn't any like any other river. It's, it's never clean, but they just bring that water home and use it. And so God pressed upon our hearts to have a, 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 have, um, um, a well dug in our property. It's 150, 178 feet deep uh, solar-powered um, uh, well. So it pumps water on the tower, water tower, and then people go on the water station and they get to fetch water. The cool thing with this is that we have an audio Bible by the water station. Every single time that water station is opened, the audio Bible is playing. So no one talks to anyone, but the Bible just keeps on reading from Genesis to Revelation, and then it will keep on going. And where it stops this day and then the following day, it begins from where it stops, and that's how they get to hear God's word. There are so many people that have got conversation with us, and they come in and sing, I had this word when I was fetching water. What does it mean? And it strikes a conversation. Okay, that word that you got from the Bible, it means this. Can I tell you more about what that means? And we get to lead them to Christ because of the words they get to cut just because they were fetching water. They, they, they caught on God's word. So again, another opportunity that God has given me and my, my colleagues to reach the people of South Sudan. Why South Sudan? Let me tell you about myself. I'm second of seven siblings. My dad was a pastor. I grew up uh, hearing about Jesus. My dad, my very, very topmost favorite person and friend in the entire world, was the very first person to introduce me to Jesus. But he didn't lead me to Jesus. He didn't, didn't lead me to Christ. Every, I remember every single evening my dad opening the Bible and reading the Bible to us. At the age of four, I knew I was a sinner in need of a savior. My Sunday school teacher, Miss Consolata, was very, very good, clearly presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one single Sunday after she presented the gospel, I was like, I want to be saved. And so I was counseled for salvation. I received Jesus Christ in my heart. But I struggled for two years. Every single Sunday, I would try to raise up my hand. I want to be saved. My problem was, in the course of the week, if I did something wrong, uh, I was like, Jesus is gone. I have to go back again on Sunday and receive him again. And so every single Sunday, I was that kid who just keeps on raising their hand, knowing, thinking that because I did something wrong, Jesus was gone. I have to receive him again. And so at the age of six, my, my teacher, Miss Consolata, she, she's with the Lord now. She had noticed this, and so she called me aside and said, Sada, I've seen that you keep on raising up your hand. You want to be saved. What's wrong with you? <laughs> just always want to be saved. I'm like, Miss Consolata, you know, I get saved on Sunday, and then maybe in the course of the week, my sister does something wrong, and then I think something, and now Jesus is gone. I have to come back again and receive him again. And she was like, no, child, this is not how this works. Once saved, forever saved. And so she counseled me for assurance of salvation. She took me through all those verses, and I was like, Jesus is not going to leave me again? I have Jesus, and I was so thrilled to know that Jesus was not going to leave me. That in my heart, I was like, when I grow up, I want to be a Sunday school teacher. To me, the Sunday school teacher was the most important person in the entire world because she's the one who is teaching people about Jesus and leading them to Jesus. I didn't know more about my past, even though my dad was a pastor. To me, the most important person was a, was a Sunday school teacher. And so I went back home and told my dad, when I grow up, I want to be a Sunday school teacher. And my dad was like, we'll pray about it. That was his favorite phrase, we'll pray about it. And so 
after I got my, my assurance of salvation, I was so thrilled about telling people about Jesus and growing up to be a Sunday school teacher that I, I went back home and taught my dad the lesson that my Sunday school teacher taught me. And my dad, as my best friend, was always willing to play along. My dad was my very first Sunday school kid because every single Sunday in the evening, my dad, I would sit my dad down, I would be Miss Consulata. My dad would be the Sunday school kid and every single Sunday he had a different name. And he had to be saved every single Sunday because he has to go to heaven. I don't want my Sunday school kids not going to heaven. And so my dad played along every single Sunday. He would sit down there and I would try to imitate my Sunday school teacher. You know, the way she walked, the way she talked, the, the illustration she was using and made sure that I led my dad to Christ as my Sunday school kid. And I remember as a child, my dad saying, you know, baby, when you grow up, God is going to use you. And it was just loving. It's so great seeing my, my, my dad seeing and playing along with whatever I was doing and how God was using me. At the age of 12, I was in church and they announced that they wanted Sunday school teachers. And I was like, whoa, I've been waiting my entire life to be a Sunday school teacher. And they just announced they want Sunday school teachers. And so I signed up. I was like, I want to be a Sunday school teacher. My youth pastor was like, you're so young. You, you can't be a Sunday school teacher. But the missionary that I was growing up under, uh, Virgil and Marilyn Vice, they're from Boise, Idaho. They were like, no, just, just let her be there. Uh, we'll train and then give her the, the youngest one. She, she'll take care of them. And so I got my first Sunday school teacher's training at the age of 12 and began teaching Sunday school. And I've been teaching ever since. Um, the rest is history. And God, God, God has been so faithful. And I remember that year after I began teaching Sunday school, we, we had a youth camp. So we went for the youth camp and the preacher, preacher on Friday talked about, you know, consecrating your life to Jesus, Give your, surrendering your life for full-time ministry. And I felt led of God to go up front and pray. And I pray that God, whatever thing that you want to do with my life, I, I want you to do it. And so I surrendered my life to Jesus um, to, to use me in whichever way I was already teaching Sunday school. I didn't know what else he had in store. And so after praying, I remember going back home, and a few months after that, I was seated with my dad watching TV. And they give all the local news and then the international news, and there was South Sudan in the international news. It wasn't, it wasn't South Sudan then, it was just Sudan. And there were soldiers in the street, there were mothers and children running in the street. They were actually even, they showed even pictures of dead people in the street and as war was going on in Sudan and I remember turning back to my dad seeing all the images of these mothers running away from their homes turning to my dad and saying dad when I grow up I want to be a missionary in Sudan and his favorite phrase we'll pray about it <laughs> and I was like yeah and the thing is those faces never left my heart at any moment. Every single day I woke up and I had one goal. I was going to go to high school, finish high school, go to Bible college, finish Bible college, and then go to Sudan, be a missionary. That was my perfect plan. I just knew I was going to finish my eighth grade and then go to high school, just finish everything as fast as possible. My perfect plan was perfect until God had an a better perfect plan for me. 
And so I went through high school, finished high school very well, and then joined Bible college. Two months after joining Bible college, both of my parents died in an accident. And those were the darkest moments. But I look back and see how God is good. Because it's in those dark moments that God captured my heart even more to remind me, you know, like, you had your dad as your best friend, but I am your best of best. And I am your father. I'm your daddy. And he captured my heart during those moments after my parents died. I remember right before our parents were buried, you know, two caskets, my dad and my mom, and seeing my siblings and how they were crying. I remember just praying and asking God, God, whatever happens after this, allow my siblings just to love you. If my siblings love you, I will do anything that you want me to do. Just, just allow my siblings to love you, love you like crazy. And God has granted me that wish. All my siblings are born again. They're all serving Jesus. Actually, I had the privilege of leading the last three to Christ because they were in my Sunday school class anyways. <laughs> it's so good. And God is good. It's not because of the things that, I, God is good. That's his nature. He is good. And so I had to drop out of college after our parents died to help my elder sister raise our youngest ones. And God gave me a good job with a Christian media house. And he's blessed me with good brain that I catch up things very, very fast that it's, it's done. So I had a good job, good position, good paying job in a Christian media house to help raise our youngest siblings. But after serving in this ministry for three and a half years, God tagged my heart again. Okay, it's time for you to get in the main goal. Get back to Bible college and we want to get you to South Sudan. And so I went back to school, resigned from my work. I didn't know how things were going to work, but I resigned from the job and then got back to Bible college. And um, in two years, gained my, my, my Bible degree. And then in, that was in 2016. And then in 2017, I went to South Sudan to join Christine and Ron to, with the work that is going on there. I've seen God's hand. And I'm so thankful for what he has done. Why does all this matter? This matters to me so much because number one, as a young girl, I had the voice of God. After watching those images of South Sudanese, God was, who will I send to South Sudan? And as a young girl, I said, here I am, Lord, send me. So I am in South Sudan because I'm obeying that call. That I'd said, God, send me to South Sudan. So it's important for me to be there. Number two, I love being there because of the fruit that I've seen already. I have these young girls and young boys who have led to Christ and mentoring and they're getting involved in ministry. All of the pictures that you've seen and several of them are involved in Sunday school already. They're teaching in Sunday school, getting themselves trained. I've signed them with child evangelism fellowship programs to get them trained for ministry. And these young men specifically, and some, some, some other of them have come to me and said, Misada, I want to be a pastor when I grow up. And I look forward to that day, several years from now, that I'll go to Pastor Francis's church and, and, and you know, like, be with the congregation that Francis is leading 
and talk about how I led Francis to Christ. And Francis is now a pastor. I look forward to those days. Because of those fruits, I'd rather be in South Sudan. I, I love being there. Currently, between now and December, before I leave, I'm on deputation, um, and, and God is doing amazing things. I'm raising part of my, my support is for personal, but most of it is, is ministry, specifically going towards school and feeding program. Uh, I am actually currently at 62% as at last night when I checked uh, my tallying. I'm at 62%. Um, and I trust God by the end of November, I'll, I'll be at 100% and, and head back in December. You can be part of what God is doing in and through my life. Number one, by praying. My top priority prayer need is, when you remember to pray for me in South Sudanese, Pray that souls that are getting saved will be on fire for Jesus and that they'll be willing to tell, speak about Jesus and just bubble about Jesus because I don't know how long this window will be open in South Sudan. I don't know. But just pray that these people who are getting saved in good, good numbers, they'll be willing to tell their South Sudanese friends and parents and uncles and everyone about Jesus Christ. And of course, you can pray for safety and pray for provision. But my prayer need, my top prayer need is that people will be on fire for Jesus in South Sudan as they get saved. Number two, you can give, whether it's for personal or for ministry need. Um, that would be very, very helpful. Number three, tell, share, share about what God is doing in South Sudan. I know when you watch your news, when you go to internet and any place that you get news about Sudan, if you Google it right now, there, there'll be nothing good that you'll read there. Nothing good. They'll tell you how insecure it is and how people are dying of hunger. They'll tell you of all the terrible things about South Sudan. Take time to share what God is doing in South Sudan. Tell people that souls are getting saved in South Sudan. There's a church in, there's a Baptist church in South Sudan and there are missionaries who are actually reaching out souls for Jesus. Tell about that. Leave, leave the news to the other guys. They know how to do it best. Talk about what God is doing. And then you can go be, be part of the mission field. You can come for short-term missions, trip, or long-term. It will be very, very helpful. I trust you, me, you'll be at work when you come. There's no holiday when you come to, to the ministry in South Sudan. I'm headed back in December because I believe there's one more soul for Jesus. There's one more. And if I have to use my flashlight and lead them to Christ, the very last one, I want to do that. Would you be part of reaching that one last soul for Jesus Christ? And like we say in South Sudan, shukran, which means thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for allowing me to share my heart with you today. Thank you, Pastor. Yeah. Well, let's have a word of prayer for Seda and her ministry right now. Father, we thank you for an encouraging report of your power and how you're working in the hearts and the lives of uh, South Sudanese people in the whole country, inviting uh, the gospel of Christ into their country and into their hearts. We thank you for the children and the younger generation that is growing up hearing about Jesus Christ. Thank you for all the different ministries that we've seen presented here today from the water 
uh, for the community, to the school, for the teens, to the Sunday school, for the children, and all of the various aspects. Thank you for equipping, gifting SEDA for the work. Thank you for all of those that you've gifted. Thank you for the work that you're doing in Kenya. And what a joy and encouragement it is to hear that God still saves souls. And so we pray for uh, just the safety. We pray for the children to be saved as she goes back. We pray that you would raise her support to 100% before the end of the year. We ask this now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Please take your Bibles. Open up to Romans chapter 10. Do you have beautiful feet? Do you know what makes beautiful feet? Yeah, that's a weird question. Now, don't think that your pastor's weird or or gone wonky on you, all right? But um, I I, I searched that answer last night. It came that there were three basic things that make beautiful feet, all right? Um, Number one is the condition of the skin. Is the skin healthy? Is it dry, cracking, you know? Uh, Number two um, was the nails on the feet. Are they healthy, you know, are they uh, cracked, you know, are they missing, so forth. But the number one was cleanliness. Cleanliness made beautiful feet. Now, I promise you, um, I don't have beautiful feet, all right, because my skin is not uh, very beautiful. I have a a blotching disease where uh, even though I have very fair skin, my skin is bleached out and have a big spot on the top of my foot. And I look at that and I say, what an ugly foot, right? It's all bleached out. But you're thinking, wow, this is really random and weird, Pastor. I mean, where is this coming from? Well, I want you to take your Bibles here in Romans chapter 10. I want you to notice with me in uh, verse 15, The second half of the verse, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So spiritually speaking, do you have beautiful feet? Are you bringing glad tidings of good things with the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, in fact, the the Bible talks a lot about feet and beautiful feet. Uh, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. Uh, There was a brokenhearted woman, a great sinner. And uh, she came into the house of a Pharisee that was entertaining Jesus. The Pharisee forgot to wash Jesus' feet. That was the custom in that day. And she, with tears, soaked his feet and wiped his feet clean with her hair. For the joy of meeting Jesus, and he forgave her. So these are the minimum factors that make up physically beautiful feet. But listen to this verse from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publishes peace, that bringeth good tidings of, of good, that publishes salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigns. God is still a sovereign God. We've been going through the series in Daniel on the sovereignty of God and that we're secure in the hands of a sovereign God. But when times are hard, humanly speaking, God is still in control. The reference here in Isaiah 52, verse 7, 
was about a captive who was hundreds of miles away in Babylon. And he made the desert journey through the Fertile Crescent and is coming back into the land of Israel. And he appears on the mountaintops and he begins to publish the good tidings that the exile is over and that the people are returning home, that they've been set free. And the nation begins to rejoice and to have hope in anticipation that they will rebuild and be the people that God wants them to be once again. And so these uh, captives that were returning to Israel from the land of Babylon uh, were bringing good news. Now, the feet emphasize the rapid approach of the messenger from Babylon, people running to get home again. And so they were not willing to let anything stop them. They scaled any obstacle to get back home and to share the good news. Now, interesting, the, the phrase here, good news or good tidings in Isaiah 52, verse 7, uh, it meant the, the gift that was given for sharing the news. So the messenger would come and bring good news. The people would get so excited that they would share a gift with the messenger. Well, as time went by, the, the word actually became synonymous with the gospel itself. And so it always means the word that is preached. The Bible is good news. It is a message of peace between God and men. And sometimes, literally, between people. That God brings peace as a result of the gospel. Now, in our passage here in uh, Romans chapter 10, we're going to start out in verse 13. It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14. How then shall they call on him? So, if God wants people to call on his name, and when they do... He will save them, then how do they call on the name of the Lord? So that's the first rhetorical question. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good Things. So Paul asks five rhetorical questions. Now a rhetorical question is one that you don't answer out loud, but it has a very obvious answer. Well, the obvious answer to these questions is they don't. They don't get saved. They don't call on the name of the Lord unless someone tells them. And so the, the answer is actually at the end of the last question. So reverse it, and then you'll see how the, the progress takes place here. So these five questions. So let's go through these really quick and uh, look at that. But uh, first of all, those with beautiful uh, feet plead with people to call on the name of the Lord. So the first thing necessary for a person to be saved, as verse 13 has already said, is to call on Christ. Now, this is completely different than believing. All right, so you're in Romans 10. Let's go back up to verses 9 and 10. 
that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So what you believe in your heart is what you say with your mouth. And so you believe that Christ died, was buried, and rose again to pay for your sins. And then you express that belief, what's in your heart, by calling on the name of the Lord in prayer. And so those with beautiful feet tell people, it's not just enough to believe it in your head and to believe it in your heart. You have to ask for it. You're not saved unless you ask the Lord to save you. Call on His name. So saving faith has three elements. It has an intellectual element where you understand uh, the facts or the content of the gospel. Uh, then it has a personal uh, an assent or an agreement that you agree with those facts. But then the third element of saving faith is that you actually call on the name of the Lord. And that is demonstrating your trust or your belief in Jesus Christ. To be a Christian, you must call on the Jesus Christ personally, saying, Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. I call on you to save me. Help me. Save me from my sin. And here's the good news in verse 13. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord might possibly one day get saved. Is that what it says? No, shall be saved. The moment that they call, they will be saved. But let's move on to the second question that Paul asks, all right? And that's found here in verse 14. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Those with beautiful feet plead with people to believe on the Lord. So here in this series of statements, a person must believe in order to call upon him. Now that's interesting. Intellectual understanding without commitment is not saving faith. But neither is commitment without intellectual understanding. If you must believe on Jesus in order to call on him, then your mind must be engaged in knowing who he is and what he's done for you. So who is he? Well, he is God who took on human flesh, lived a sinless and perfect life, and died as your substitute paid for your sins, rose again on the third day, and offers to you the gift of salvation, his righteousness, his perfect record. The Bible describes that Jesus Christ, the just one, died for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. So he becomes our substitute, but he also becomes our righteousness. And so we have to uh, understand this, but to Believe on the Lord to understand who he is and what he's done for you. And I think this is what America needs today. Is an understanding of Jesus Christ and what, who he is and what he's done for them. Um, I have some opinions and thoughts on this that I'll, I'll share later in the message. But 
those with beautiful feet plead with people to believe. So if they believe, they'll call. But how will they ever believe? Well, and that's our third point. Those with beautiful feet plead with people to hear the Lord. Now, this is interesting. Let's look at our text again. Verse 14. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? So some of the newer translations substitute it with the word uh, in whom they have not heard, making that the emphasis that it's our failure to take the gospel and they're not hearing. And that's a, a legitimate way to view that. I mean, that makes sense that there are people in countries that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. John LaBelle, one of our missionaries to uh, Sierra Leone and the island in the city of Banff, uh, he's told us that there is a village uh, off the coast, about 25 miles from the island, uh, a tribe that has never heard the gospel. And he knows that. And his goal is that he wants to go there someday and share the gospel of Jesus Christ because they've never heard. There's never been a messenger ever take the gospel to that village. And so he's trying to raise up a church that will go to that village one day. But that's not actually what is being emphasized here is that you're pleading with people to hear the Lord. God communicates the people today. God may be communicating with you this morning. You may be hearing God speak to you through the Bible, quietly in your mind, and you know that He's pleading with you, be saved. Call on me. And that voice is God's communicating to you through the Holy Spirit and the Bible, that yes, his message is true, he loves you, he died for you, he's telling you to put your faith and trust in him. He's pleading with you to be saved. Jesus taught this in the Gospel of John chapter 10. I'm going to read just some excerpts from John chapter 10. It says, The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of the sheep pen, but I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. That one shepherd is Jesus Christ. He's the good shepherd. Are you listening today to his voice? He's convicting you of sin, that you have offended a holy God, of righteousness, that God is a perfectly righteous and a holy God, and of judgment to come, that unless you repent, and believe and call on his name, you cannot be saved. But he's calling today. He's asking you, hear my voice. Listen to what I'm saying to you. This is not a religion. 
This is not a stone God. This is the true and the living God. This is the creator of the universe that's talking to you. He's a loving God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you. He's talking to you individually. Enter into a personal relationship by hearing the good shepherd's voice. So the word of Christ is not what you would choose to make it, but rather Jesus Christ using the Bible to speak to you about your need. The fourth question and the point here is this, all right? For those with beautiful feet, we preach about the Lord. So look at verse 14 and verse 15. Uh, but at the end of verse 14, And how shall they believe in him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? All right, now, you're going to say, Oh, I, I, that, I, I'm good. I'm exempt from this message because I'm not the preacher. And I'm glad I'm not the preacher. <laughs> Wrong. All right? You are the preacher. In Acts chapter 8, when there was a persecution against the church, it said that the disciples... And then it gives an exception, except the apostles. They stayed in Jerusalem. The disciples were scattered abroad and they went everywhere preaching the word. There's two words for preaching. It is caruso, which we get crusade, all right? And then there's heralding the message. So wherever the disciples went, they heralded the message. They, they proclaimed the good news. They had beautiful feet. They were the immigrant going into a different city. And they were sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. We preach about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. This is why we exhort you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other God who can save you. This is the Christian message. We preach Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, risen, and coming again. Our message is a message about a person that you can have a relationship. We preach Jesus to you. We preach about the Lord and so listen to what Jesus said in Luke 10, 16. He who listens to you listens to me. And he who rejects you rejects me. Um, it was uh, J.I. Packer who made this observation about Christian preaching. He said, a true sermon is an act of God and not a mere performance by a man. In real preaching, the speaker is the servant of the living word of God and speaks by the word or Bible which is the very words of God and so it's just the servant's lips speaking God's word the sermon is God's ordained mean of speaking and God's way of working the divine commission is to ministers is a commission to preach and teach and the accompanying promise is that if they preach the word faithfully they will not preach in vain. The word of God is living. It's quick. That's what it means. It's powerful. The Bible converts souls. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, the Bible. The Bible will create a local church when it's faithfully preached and taught. But are you preaching the message of the Lord Jesus? Are you casting the Word in Hollister? And so, the last point here is this. Those with beautiful feet perceive that they are sent. So this is the last of the five statements at the end of verse 14. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? So this is the fifth and the last step in Paul's linked statements about the way that people are brought to call on Jesus Christ for salvation. This is the bottom line. This is what he's indicating to us. People must believe in Christ before they call on him. They must hear Christ before they can believe. There must be preachers of the word if people are to hear Christ. Now he concludes that for Christ to be proclaimed to such people, preachers must be sent to them. Do you know what the word apostle means? It means sent one. Take your Bibles with me and I want you to go uh, to just a couple of passages of Scripture. Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. Matthew 9, 38. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Hollister is God's harvest. San Benito County is God's harvest. Central California is God's harvest. California is God's harvest. The West is God's harvest. The United States is God's harvest. The world is His harvest. Humanity is His harvest. Hollister's growing, as demonstrated by the the new people that we see here today. Our city is growing. God is sending you to share Jesus with the new people on Hollister. God has a heart and a desire to send laborers. Will you join up forces with him? All we need to do is pray and ask. So that's how we can pray as a church, right? God, send us more people to work with us, to join with us, to spread the gospel in Hollister. And since that's God's desire, that's God's command here, he'll do that. He will send the people who will tell the good news. Um, Paul is encouraging in Acts, uh, Romans chapter 15. Let's go there, Romans chapter 15. Paul is encouraging the Christians in, in the city of Rome to partner with him as he plans further missionary journey. It says in verse 23, But now having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, uh, whensoever I take my journey into what? Spain. Paul wanted to take the good news to Spain. And so he's going to enlist the believers in the city of Rome to partner with him. 
So whenever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way uh, thitherward by you. In other words, you'll have an opportunity to join with me as I go to Spain. We have an opportunity today as a church to join with Seda as she goes to South Sudan and participate with her in the gospel. We can join her, just as Paul was asking the believers in the church at Rome to join with him. And so he says, you can join me, all right? But I have somewhat been filled with your company, but now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. And so Paul was getting them to say, look, you can go with me in this. You can participate with me. But the last verse that I want you to take you to um, is the verse, so send I you. It's in the Gospel of Luke. You can look it up. I'm not going to take the time to turn there in that reference. But Jesus said, and so send I you. You're a sent one. Now, you're an apostle not in the sense of office. You're an apostle in the sense of the meaning of the word, a sent one. Do you have beautiful feet? You're a sent one. So go. Today, if you've heard the Christian message for the first time, we invite you to believe on Jesus. Admit that you're a sinner. Agree with him that you cannot save yourself. Believe in your heart that he died to pay the penalty for your sin rose again to secure that purchase. And you can call on him in faith. And when you do, he will save you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we're going to make this message something that we respond to the word of God. There's two responses that we're looking for here today. First, do you need to respond by placing your faith in Jesus? So if that's the response that God is telling you to make today, would you indicate that by lifting your hand and say, yes, I need to be saved. I need to call on Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Is there anyone? Yes, I see that hand. So here's the good news. If you call on him, he will save you. And so believe in your heart and then call. And so we'll close this out with a prayer in just a minute and we'll invite you to pray along and ask him to become your personal savior. But the second desired response today is this. For those who have already asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, do you perceive that you're the sent one and that you have the beautiful privilege of proclaiming tidings of great joy, of peace? You get to take good news. Will you make it an effort, a resolve in your life this week to share the gospel with a coworker, a neighbor, a family member, or even a stranger? To share the gospel this week and say, yes, pastor, I realize that I'm a sent one and I resolve this week to share the gospel. Will you raise your hand and say, yes, I resolve to do the yes, I see those hands, yes. All right, let's go ahead now and close in prayer. And the prayer will ask for God to help you share the good news. And then we'll end that prayer by inviting anybody who would like to receive Christ as Lord and Savior to pray and receive Christ.
Let's pray.